Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full-time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting. I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 68 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking about artificial sweeteners what they are, how they impact blood sugar, and our personal experiences with them. I have the win this week, and my win is like a six-hour streak of unicorns, or kind of close to unicorns. My number was really flat between 95 and 110. And for anyone who doesn't know what a unicorn is, a unicorn to a type 1 diabetic is when your blood sugar is 100. Exactly. So those are always fun to have. Jesse, what's your fail this week? I actually didn't know that was called a unicorn. So. I don't have a diabetic fail this week, but I definitely do have a really big fail. So one not so great thing that happened to me this week was that my truck broke down in the middle of a construction zone. So not fun. I will tell you that right now. It was awful. And for those of you who don't know, I drive a 1994 Toyota Tacoma. So it's definitely a stick shift. And apparently the clutch got overheated because I just did the careful balance between the clutch and the ignition and it overheated the clutch and I started going backwards and my engine overheated and it was not fun. It was so not fun. Luckily, there are some really, really good people out there in the world who were able to give me a tow. So definitely big shout out to them. That was terrifying because I was about two feet from this guy's bumper. It was on a chain, so it was good. He pulled me about 45 minutes around like a lake that I live around and we did a big loop. I'm sitting in the back of in my truck, I trying not to cry, which I'm so proud of myself that I didn't cry until the next day when all of the adrenaline wore off. So my dad raised me right. Don't cry during traumatic situations. It doesn't make anything better. But thank goodness I was wearing my sensor because it was really, really out of whack for the rest of the day especially when I went to work and then got home and I dropped to 45 when I got home after. And that was after an orange smoothie that I had that I under for because I knew something bad was going to happen. Anyways, my truck is fine. Everything's good. It just kind of smells a little bit burnt, but we fixed the problem. Everything's okay now. Well, now you have this experience under your belt. And now whenever you have another car problem, you're going to be like, I survived my truck dying in a construction zone. This is no problem. I mean, we brought the guys, to, like the whole construction team. They were so good to me. They were like so nice and so respectful that we brought them donuts the next day as a thank you. And I was just like, this is really important. And my dad's just like, okay. So we we went out and he got donuts for him. And once he met the guys, he was like, I don't know why we're doing this, Jessica. This doesn't make any sense. So once we gave them the donuts and he was just, he met the guy who helped me out. He was like, 
wow, that makes a lot more sense. I'm glad we did that. And it was just, it was very humbling, number one. And number two, it really restored some of the faith that I didn't have in humanity that I now have again. So I'm, I'm very happy about that. So our diabetes hack this week, we had daylight savings switch at the beginning of November. And when we do that, we have to remember to switch all of our medical devices too. So that includes your insulin pump, your CGM, your meters. If you use meters, your, your Omnipod PDM, if that doesn't happen automatically. So if you haven't gotten around to changing all of your clocks, which by this point you should have because daylight savings happened like a month and a half ago, or if your numbers are off and you can't figure out why, you may have forgotten to fall back an hour on your medical devices. It's important to do this because basal rates are determined by the time. And this is always this always happens to me when I travel too, is I'll get to my destination and realize that I have to change my pump time to be three hours ahead or three hours behind because that impacts my basal rates. So I will um, usually do that in the air. I'll do that before we even land. So today we're talking about artificial sweeteners. These things have been around for decades as a so-called healthy alternative to real sugar when you want to sweeten things, whether it's in baking or in your coffee or anything in between. When my sister and I were kids, we knew another type 1 diabetic girl who called artificial sweeteners sugar-free sugar. She wasn't wrong, but between the time that I was a kid and now, the artificial sweeteners have evolved somewhat and new ones show up every year in the grocery store or on keto ingredients lists. And they pretty much are sugar-free sugar. Artificial sweeteners are one specific type of sugar substitute. And in this episode, we aren't going to talk about the natural sweeteners that are also sugar substitutes like honey, maple syrup, things like that. Because as type 1 diabetics, we're concerned about the blood sugar impact and the natural sugar substitutes behave basically exactly like real sugar does. Artificial sweeteners are synthetic sugar substitutes. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I actually take the time to think about that, it's kind of gross that we use artificial sweeteners at all. We're putting something in our bodies that looks, feels, and tastes like sugar, but it's synthetic, like plastic. That might be kind of an extreme analogy, but after my experiences with some artificial sweeteners, it kind of makes sense. They're regulated by the FDA as food additives, and they have to be reviewed by the FDA before manufacturers can sell them. And sometimes the FDA will declare a substance generally recognized as safe, which abbreviates as GRAS. I guess they pronounce it GRAS, which is kind of funny. And that just means that qualified professionals deem the substance safe for its intended use on the basis of scientific data. That just means it's been in food for a long time and nobody has died from it, so it should be okay. And stevia is actually one of those. The FDA also established an acceptable daily intake, or ADI, for each artificial sweetener, which is a maximum amount considered safe to consume each day over the course of a lifetime. Yeah, and these ADIs are generally set at very conservative levels, meaning more than likely everyone who has a diet soda addiction is blowing past these levels by a long shot. And I found that most artificial sweeteners leave some kind of aftertaste, though sugar alcohols may or may not have an aftertaste. It just depends on which one you have or how you react to them. I find that erythritol in particular leaves this cold kind of menthol-y taste in my mouth afterwards. And a lot of people don't like that. It doesn't really bother me. Although more later, I don't actually stomach erythritol anymore. Okay. So where do you find these artificial sweeteners most often? Soft drinks and powdered drink mixes. Diet sodas are no notorious, excuse me, with their artificial sweeteners, which is very true. Try and pronounce literally every single ingredient 
on that diet soda can, but you can't do it. Baked goods and pastries, candies, puddings, canned foods, jam, jelly, and marmalade. Dairy products like low sugar, low fat, yogurt that has to be made palatable somehow since you, they took the fat out of it. Yeah, it's uh, palatable. So so they take they actually take sugar and fat out of these low fat, low sugar yogurts. But they have to make it sweet and palatable somehow. So they add sugar alcohols and uh, artificial sweeteners back in. It's kind of gross. That makes a lot more sense why my, like, I love to eat yogurt. I can't anymore because it hurts my, like, it physically hurts my stomach and it causes, like, symptoms that'll last, like, weeks afterwards that I can't do yogurt anymore. So do you know what, what the artificial sweetener is in those? No, I haven't eaten yogurt in about four or five years now. I would bet that it was some kind of artificial sweetener in there that you were reacting to. Probably. And then the most common artificial sweeteners are, and I want to give a disclaimer, I probably can't say most of these. Do you want me to pronounce them? Sure. (laughs) So um, these are kind of difficult to pronounce, so I will try to do my best to help Jesse out with these. Acesulfame potassium. Sold as Sunset and Sweet One. It's 200 times sweeter than sugar and takes 23 packets to reach the FDA max for one day. Oh my gosh. Next one is aspartame, which a lot of people will recognize. Sold as NutraSweet, Equal, and Sugar Twin. It's 200 times sweeter than sugar, and you'd need 75 packets to reach the FDA max for one day. And I'm actually not sure how many packets or equivalent packets are in a can of diet soda. That's not something I looked up, but I probably should have because a lot of people drink a lot of diet soda. The next one is Neotame. Sold as Nutane. And between 7,000 and 13,000 times sweeter than sugar, it takes 23 packets of the stuff to reach the FDA max. Saccharin, that's another one that most people know. This one I do know. I recognize this one. Sold as Sweet and Low and Nectar Sweet, it's between 200 and 700 times sweeter than table sugar and takes 45 packets at the sweetness intensity of 400 times that than of sugar to reach the FDA ADI. Uh, Sucralose. A lot of people know that one. This is Splenda. It's 600 times sweeter than sugar and takes just 23 packets to get you to your ADI. And the last one on this list is Steviol glycosides. It's a fun one. Most people will probably recognize this as Truvia or Purvia which is between 200 and 400 times sweeter than sugar and would take only nine packets at 300 times intensity to reach your ADI. And we'll post a chart from the FDA in the show notes that shows each sweetener, its regulatory status, brand names, and how sweet they are compared to sugar. This chart shows the ADI and equivalent packets that would get you to your ADI. So next is sugar alcohols. These are naturally found in plants and berries, but the types that you find most often in keto and low-carb products are synthetic. When products have sugar alcohols in them, they're usually labeled as sugar-free or no sugar added, which is misleading because sugar alcohols are still carbohydrates. Many diabetics can subtract sugar alcohols from total carbs like we do with fiber because sometimes they don't impact people. But as time passes, I've found that I actually have to bolus for both fiber and sugar alcohols. So I have to pay more attention to total carbs instead of net carbs, which is what a lot of people do. Sugar alcohols are actually less sweet than table sugar. I actually found that surprising. 
it means that you're if you're using these as a substitute for sugar when you're cooking, the ratio won't be one to one. And something to note with the artificial sweeteners is that if you use any of those as a sugar substitute, you need far less than you would if you're going to reach the same sweetness with sugar. Some common FDA-approved sugar alcohols are erythritol, which is fun to pronounce if you've never seen it before. That's found in confectionery and baked products, chewing gum, and some beverages. It's sold as Swerve in stores, but you can also buy granulated erythritol just by itself. Uh, To make confectioner's sugar out of erythritol, you can just run it through a coffee grinder. My husband has done that when he makes keto cheesecake with erythritol, and we don't want to buy Swerve confectioners. This is actually the best of all of the sugar alcohols. So if you want to be conscious of which one you use, I would try this one. The next one is xylitol. That's found in chewing gum, hard candies, and some pharmaceutical products. I've also seen it in peanut butters. Xylitol is dangerous for dogs. It's actually very toxic. So don't feed your dog peanut butter that is sweetened with xylitol. As of 2017, which was the list that I found, uh, five different peanut butters use xylitol. That includes Go Nuts Co., Crush Nutrition, Nuts and More, P28 Foods, and Protein Plus PB. I just want to ask, was this the one that's also found in like dark chocolate and stuff like that? Do you know? Because that would explain why you can't give chocolates to dogs. No, so um, regular chocolate has, oh, it's, it's, I know the name of it. It starts with a TH. So these are all just sugar alcohols. Regular chocolate doesn't have sugar alcohol. It's theobromine or theobromine. So regular chocolate, because it has theobromine in it, that is why it's toxic to dogs. It's apparently it's really similar to caffeine, but this particular sugar alcohol, the xylitol is different from theobromine, but they're both toxic to dogs. So first of all, don't feed your dog chocolate. And second of all, don't feed your dog peanut butter made of xylitol. So the next sugar alcohol is sorbitol, and that's found in sugar-free hard and soft candies, chewing gum, flavored jam and jelly spreads, frozen foods, and baked goods. There's mannitol found in chewing gum, hard and soft candies, flavored jam and jelly spreads, and also confections and frostings. Lactitol found in chocolate, sugar-free chocolate pretty much. Cookies and cakes, uh, hard and soft candies, and then also frozen dairy desserts, which sounds to me like ice cream. Isomalt found in hard and soft candies, ice cream, toffee, fudge, lollipops, wafers, and chewing gum, none of which I will eat. And then malitol. Found in sugar-free chocolate, hard candies, chewing gum, baked goods, and ice cream. Malitol is by far the absolute worst of everything in this episode because it behaves exactly like sugars in all the ways you don't want it to. Be very, very aware of your nutrition labels because a lot of the artificial sweetener packets have maltodextrin as a filler. And that means that part of your packet of Splenda might actually spike your blood sugar exactly as if you were putting real sugar in in your coffee. I hate malitol with like a burning, fiery passion because this is what was in my sugar-free candy when I was a kid. Still probably is. And that gave me the runs like no other. I would be on the toilet for hours because of this evil sugar alcohol. Although if you want a really fun time in the Amazon review section, the Haribo or Haribo gummy bears. (laughs) Oh my gosh. The reviews on those are so funny. But they have malitol in them. I guarantee it. Oh my God. Those reviews are pretty funny. I've seen yeah, them on the sugar free ones. I've seen them on Instagram before and stuff like that. Just posted. Oh my God. There is so much TMI that <laughs> I didn't need. Like, go to your doctor, please, at that point. 
Uh, to be fair, a lot of the reviews are highly, highly exaggerated. I think George Takei, actually, from Star Trek, he went on there and he did his own review of it. But it, it's so funny, just if you want a good laugh to to go through there. But Malatol, the devil. Now, um, medicinenet.com discusses the safety concerns with sugar alcohols. And this is a quote. The reason that sugar alcohols provide fewer calories than natural sugars is because they are not completely absorbed in our body. For this reason, high intakes of foods containing some sugar alcohols can lead to abdominal gas and diarrhea. Any foods that contain sorbitol or mannitol must include a warning on the label that excess consumption may have a laxative effect. Fun. The American Dietetic Association advises that intakes greater than 50 grams a day of sorbitol or greater than 20 grams a day of mannitol may cause diarrhea. The presence of sugar alcohols in foods does not mean that you can eat unlimited quantities. Sugar alcohols are lower in calories, gram for gram, than sugar, but they are not calorie-free, as many people would like to tell you. And if eaten in large enough quantities, the calories can be comparable to sugar-containing foods. You will need to read food labels for the calorie and the carbohydrate content, regardless of the claim of being sugar-free, low sugar, or low carb. So less terrible, non-nutritive sugar substitutes include boca sweet, an extract from the kabocha pumpkin, and has been a Japanese superfood for a long time. Monk fruit sweetener. The, uh, most of the powdered monk fruit products that I've come across are mixed with erythritol as a delivery mechanism, and I can't stomach erythritol anymore, so I stay away from those. But uh, the Chalk Zero products use monk fruit extract, and they, they taste pretty good. All right, stevia, which is a very well-known one in my household. Be careful with these, though. Make sure they don't include dextrose or maladextrin. Stevia can also come in liquid forms in the form of sodas too, which my parents do. My mom buys a lot of. They're good, but small quantities. You can also get little drop containers of like liquid stevia at the store to use when you're baking. Yeah. We put those in teas oh, um, okay. when I was a kid and they had flavor ones like peppermint vanilla stevia or peppermint stevia. It was really, really good. Although if you overdid it, you would feel it. Yeah. So. And then how do you say this one? Allulose, which people call rare sugar because it's naturally occurring in very small quantities. It's still technically a carbohydrate, but it only has 10% of the calories that full sugar does. Research says that it doesn't impact blood sugar, but like with everything else, do your own experiments. So some dangers of artificial sweeteners and sugar alcohols include addiction. Research has shown that sugar is as addictive as heroin and artificial sweeteners are trying to mimic the taste of sugar without the, the health impact. But the tongue and the brain don't know the difference between fake sugar and real sugar when it comes to addiction. So you can become as addicted to artificial sweeteners as you can to sugar. They also affect your biological processes. For me with erythritol, I get really nauseous and I feel sick. Like we mentioned before, especially with the sorbitol and the mannitol, you might experience bloating and a lot of gas and not fun stuff coming out the back end. Yeah. And I've also heard that like, if you're trying to get pregnant at all, you want to avoid most artificial sweeteners and stuff like that too. I did not know that. Yeah. Little note of the day. Yeah. Another thing to note with all of this is its impact on your blood sugar might not be what they tell you it's going to be. I will react differently to a lot of sugar alcohols and artificial sweeteners than a lot of other type 1 diabetics. I'm a lot more sugar sensitive, so my blood sugar will react very differently than yours. So 
I would say take whatever people tell you about these sugar alcohols, these artificial sweeteners with a grain of salt. If, it, if they say that it's low on the GI, take it with a grain of salt, test it for yourself. Another one is that there's a correlation between consuming diet soda and gaining weight, especially if you're addicted to diet soda. So the artificial sweeteners will basically prevent your weight loss or cause your weight gain. It's interesting. They've also been under scrutiny for decades for possible links to cancer, especially saccharin, though that particular warning label was dropped after a lot, uh, numerous studies. I don't know how many t- total, but numerous studies said that it's okay in small amounts. So remember everything in small amounts. You don't want to overdo it on, on artificial sweeteners. Also, your body responds to artificial sweeteners differently than it does to regular sugar. Artificial sugar can interfere with your body's learned taste. So this can confuse your brain, which will send signals that you want to eat more, especially more sweet foods. So if you start having sugar alcohols or artificial sweeteners, you might end up with a bigger sugar problem than you did before. They can still raise your blood sugar, like I mentioned. And also people have reported side effects like migraines, inflammation, fatigue, and feeling unhealthy when consuming artificial sweeteners like Splenda. So we're just talking about Jesse's experience with these, these yogurts that caused stomach pain and made her feel sick. And those were probably artificially sweetened. So some of the sweeteners that I have tried on purpose to find out how they affect me and whether or not I can continue using them include erythritol, which is less sweet than sugar at about 70%. And I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It causes stomach upset. Makes me feel like I'm in a hurl. And I can tell almost instantly within the first bite of something that has erythritol in it, that it's got erythritol in it. It's very interesting. The next one that I've tried is Boca Sweet. And we use that to make keto Oreo chaffles from one of um, the YouTuber is Serious Keto. And he has a video on different Oreo chaffles. And we tried one of those recipes. I don't think I had that much of a reaction to it, but I could only have one of the keto Oreo chaffle sandwiches. And that was still kind of too much. But for that particular recipe, it had a lot of Boca Sweet. The next one that I've tried is monk fruit extract, and that's in Chalk Zero products. And so far, not much of a reaction in the straight chocolate, but their keto bark is a different story, even though it has basically the same ingredients as their regular dark chocolate squares. Like if I have one of their keto bark or keto peppermint bark, my number will go straight up. It's not fun. So I have to bowl as far in advance for those. And then the last one that I've tried that I've like consciously tried is allulose. And that's one of the sweeteners in uh, these keto Oreos, like actual keto Oreos, though they call them keto sandwich cookies because calling them keto Oreos probably doesn't fly with trademarks. Uh, These are by Catalina Crunch. And that product is kind of more dirty keto because it also has cane sugar in the ingredients. But it's very far down on the ingredient list. And whenever I eat them, the impact on my blood sugar is is actually pretty minimal. So my final verdict on artificial sweeteners and sugar alcohols is that it depends on what works for you. I try to avoid having too much of any of them. And my body will tell me if it's been too much. And we'll continue testing the Boca Sweet and maybe try allulose in its granular form just to see how that works out. I just recommend staying away from any of the synthetic artificial sweeteners and sugar alcohols because of their side effects, especially addiction. I'm always concerned when I see someone who like can't go a day without diet soda, even if they don't have diabetes. It's kind of a problem. So a little bit of my input and experiences, even though I don't have much of consciously trying specific artificial sugars, 
So for me, artificial sugars, it mainly depends on the foods or the drinks that'll change my blood sugars. So for instance, we have this thing called Zevia at my house. It's a stevia-based diet soda. I don't drink a lot of it, but it doesn't really affect my blood sugars. Although, you know, if you drink too much, it's too much of a good thing. And then it will affect my blood sugars. I usually stick to one a day if I do decide to have one, which is once in a blue moon. But when it comes to certain dairy products like cheeses, low-carb milk, or I don't really know, but any dairy product that I've seen so far really, really hurts my blood sugars and really hurts me particularly. Like I'm pretty sure I'm lactose intolerant at this point. It's been a lot of experimenting. I saw the look on Colleen's face. That's why I'm going to go in a little more detail on this. It's been a lot of like back and forth experimenting with milk and cheese and dairy. Certain cheeses are really good. Like Breeze are fine. And I mainly stick to goat cheese now. I don't put any dairy in my coffee anymore because again, it was giving me stomach cramps and extra little bathroom runs and bunch of brain fog. And so I cut that out and now I stick to almond milk when it comes to that. And it all comes and goes, but I definitely can't do dairy anymore, even if it is low carb. Is your mom lactose intolerant? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure my dad is too. He doesn't drink milk anymore. So it runs in the family. Yeah. And that my mom didn't realize she was lactose intolerant until she was in her 40s. So I'm pretty lucky to see her go through some cutting out things. Same with my dad. He didn't realize that he might be until... I think it was like 10 years ago. He was like, nah, I don't really like this anymore. I was like, oh, okay, cool, dad. But he still get milk like for my brother and every, my brother and I. And then it was like this last year, year and a half where I'm just like, eh, I'm not, I don't like the milk. I, it doesn't, now when I have it, it doesn't taste right. It tastes too sweet or too watered down or it tastes fake. Like it doesn't taste like an actual, like when you eat like a lettuce or like fr- something fresh from the garden, it doesn't taste like the way it should. <laughs> That's exactly how it was for me in bacon. Like it did not taste yeah. right. Like after no. I went through my elimination diet and I had the bacon for the first time, I was like, this just tastes wrong. Yeah. Or taste buds reset. It's kind of cool. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Cause I didn't, I was like, oh yeah, I drink, we used to drink milk religiously. Like every single night you had a glass of milk with your dinner. I can't do that anymore. Like I physically, it will hurt to do that. And I can tell something's wrong. But the funny thing is the only thing that I found that I can handle in very small amounts is eggnog, which is, I don't have it often, you know, once a year, kind of Christmas, very small amounts at Christmas or on the holiday season, or even some of my coffee and I'm fine. It's very strange. I know. Well, the spotlight this week is on Nathan Handling, a 16-year-old type 1 diabetic who just started a YouTube channel called Handling Diabetes. He has a website by the same name. It's handling-diabetes.com. Nathan wants to raise awareness of what diabetics go through, whether that be through his own stories or through stories others share on his site. He also hopes to guide people to the resources they need or the resources they want and to create a community that can help them thrive. He got into creating videos on diabetes because his doctor asked him what he wanted to do after high school. As of this recording in November 2020, Nathan is the editor-in-chief of his school's multimedia program. So he told his doctor he wants to go into journalism. And his doctor suggested doing a blog slash vlog describing his experience as a youth with type 1 diabetes. 
So Nathan set up his website, scripted, recorded, and edited his first video, and then wrote his first article in October of 2020. His overall message to the diabetes online community is that it gets better. Even if it takes a while, it will get better. So we want to encourage you to go subscribe to Nathan's YouTube channel, and you can find the link to that in the show notes. All right. And our lovely question for you, our lovely audience, is... What's your experience with artificial sweeteners? What are your favorites and which ones affect your blood sugars most? Also, let me know if dairy just randomly affects you too. Like even if it's cheese, just please let me know. So I know I'm not alone in this. You're not alone, even though I can still eat cheese. I know you're not alone. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 68. That's the number 68. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. We're getting so many guest requests that I actually set up a form for guests. And you can find that on our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. Breaking an addiction to artificial sweeteners is much like breaking an addiction to real sugar. I broke my addiction to sugar back in 2016. And since then, my taste buds get overloaded whenever I have something really sweet, even if it's sweetened artificially or with sugar alcohols. If you want help breaking your sugar or your artificial sweetener addiction, I can help you. Schedule a free 60-minute coaching consult at inspiredforward.com slash coaching. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward. And you can find me on DMP, which is Diabetes Management Platform, as at Colleen Mitchell with a space. And our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. And if you do reach out, please let me know you're from Instagram and please let me know that you are from the show and that you're a listener. And also let me know what your favorite part about the show is. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family, and maybe share it with people who are struggling with artificial sweeteners. Please also leave us a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts since that really does help other people find us. And be sure to listen next week when we talk about the different insulin pump manufacturers, the pros, the cons, the features, the integrations, and everything we know about them. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.